Now, if you were here last week, you would have noticed that um, Age did quite a long recap of the preaching series so far. And he explained to us, I'm not going to recap it again, but in a nutshell, he was explaining to us that we've been looking at biblical heroes, biblical characters who have been real giants in the Old Testament so far. And each of those characters had a special facet or facets of their relationship and their friendship with God. It was something that marked them out as real soulmates of God's, as God's soulmates, those ones that were really close to his heart and he had intimate relationship with. And he also impressed on us that it wasn't just for them. It's something that each one of us can experience too. It's not exclusive to them. It drew our attention to that amazing chapter. If you've not read it, you must read Hebrews 11. It's a chapter of the great giants, the biblical heroes of the faith. And he drew our attention to that and to this verse in particular. It says this, Not one of these people, so these biblical giants that we've already heard about, not one of these people, even though their lives of faith, faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God has a better plan for us, that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole, their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. And so Aid encouraged us to hold on to that as he preached last week, and I'm going to encourage you to hold on to that as well. Whatever you hear about David this morning, there's even more for us. There is so much more. And as we study the biblical giants of the past, we know that we can walk in their footsteps and we can embrace so much more. So today, as I said, it's the turn of David. And my title is David, the invitation to intimacy and to honesty. Now I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, as much as age loves the character of David, and I do as well, I find him a bit daunting. He's quite tricky, isn't he? Sometimes when I'm up here, I'd much rather look at the whole goody-two-shoes of the Bible. It's easier to preach about how wonderful they are and we can walk follow in their footsteps. But actually, when you look at David, he's a tricky character in so many ways. He was, as we know, deeply, deeply devout. But he was also a deeply flawed man. He was a man who could often be carried away by passion and by his own will. And David wasn't always throughout his life on track with the Lord. And yet, he enjoyed an incredible relationship with him. The most intimate and honest of relationships. So he went through, we read about his life as a shepherd boy, we read about his life as an excellent musician and harpist, we read about his life on the run from King Saul, we read about his life as the King of Israel and fighting many battles. And he had many ups and downs. But throughout this, he had an incredible relationship with God. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. How did he manage to have that? Well, as it's already said, the clue's in the title, isn't it? It's intimacy and honesty. And David was probably the first to take honesty and intimacy with God to a whole new level. Now, we know from Scripture that God considered David to be that wonderful epithet that often comes up, a man after his own heart, a man after God's own heart. This is what Paul says of David in the New Testament book of Acts. I've got it up on the screen here. It says this, God removed Saul, he removed him from his place as king, and replaced him with David, a man about, God, about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. 
So that's who we're looking at, this man after God's own heart. Even his name, David, it means beloved, close to his heart, really close, intimate, precious. And we want to know what made him that man and how can we be like that? So we're going to focus on those characteristics, honesty and intimacy. And to demonstrate that, a little bit later on this morning, we're going to look at three psalms in particular, just to demonstrate how David could be so honest and how he could nurture that intimate relationship with God in all the seasons of his life. Okay, we're going to look at honesty first before we get to intimacy, because I believe for any intimate relationship, you've got to have honesty, haven't you? So we're going to look at that first of all. Now, I wonder if you think about David and you know much about his life, if you think David was always honest. It's quite a question really, isn't it? Was David always honest? Is anyone? Are you always honest? Am I always honest? I'd like to think so, but I know I'm not always honest. Honest with others, honest with God, even honest with ourselves. That can be quite tricky, can't it, to be honest with ourselves. What we're going to do is we're going to look exactly how you define honesty. And for those of you who know me, you know that I love a good old dictionary definition. So we're going to get the Collins English Dictionary out and we're going to see what it says about the word honesty. So firstly, first definition. Should just fly in with a click. Not given to lying, cheating, stealing, etc. Trustworthy. Secondly, click. Oh, <laughs> yes, not false or misleading, genuine, and thirdly, just or fair. Fourthly, characterised by sincerity and candour, by frankness. And fifthly, without pretensions or artificial traits. Okay, leave that up there for a little bit. Where does David fit into all of these definitions, do you think? You don't need to answer, it's a bit of a rhetorical question. Where does he fit into these definitions? Well, arguably, I would say, knowing a little about him, he fits into all of them, but not all of the time. He was, as we all are, imperfect, wasn't he? He was a wonderful human being created in the image of God, knitted together in his mother's womb, and yet he was flawed. He had his imperfections, just like us. He was a man of God, but fallen with failings. And David was also a very passionate man. He was often ruled by his emotions and his desires. And that was within his personal life, in his emotional life, but also within his spiritual life. It was a bit of a roller coaster for David, emotionally and spiritually. At times, he would be right up here at the top of the roller coaster and he'd be single mindedly devoted to God, totally with him, right up there on the high ground. But at other times, he failed miserably and he would come plummeting right down. And actually, when we read about David, we see that he has committed some of the most serious, some of the most heinous crimes, actually, that are recorded in the Old Testament. And it wasn't just emotionally and spiritually. Actually, his life here on earth was a roller coaster too, in the physical, in the natural. He grew up a little bit down here, really in the shadow of his brothers, the shepherd boy in the field. But then he goes on right up and he eclipses them in front of all of them to be anointed as a future king of Israel. We're going to have a look at what 
It says about him in 1 Samuel 16. We can have the next one up. Thanks, John. It says this. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. David had gone from being the shepherd boy in the field, composing and singing to the Lord as he watched the sheep, to being anointed as the king of Israel. That happened in one fell swoop, as Samuel singles him out because he is a man after God's own heart. David then goes on, and we haven't got time to go into the whole history of David, but various things happen. He goes on to serve as a comforter in Saul's court. He's able, with his beautiful musical gift and his, his devotion to the Lord, to soothe Saul. Saul, a man, a king, who was plagued by depression, who was plagued by rage, and he would play his harp and he would soothe him. He goes on to be a mighty warrior. Many of us know, even if you're not that familiar with the story of David, you might know about the story with David and Goliath, and where he becomes a mighty warrior, defeating Goliath. And he goes on to be fated by Saul. He's favoured by him. He's right up here at the peak, but then Saul turns against him. He is fearful of him. And David becomes a man on the run. He plummets right down here. He's in the depths again. He's on the run in fear of his life. He's hunted down. Even after David comes back and becomes king, his life is a complete roller coaster, battle after battle, defending his kingdom conquering his passions. Now, as I've already alluded to, David was a great military conqueror, but as a man, I've said he was a very passionate man, and he couldn't always conquer the passions that he had. And probably one of the most famous stories, the famous story, is when he gives in to his passion for a beautiful woman, for Bathsheba. And he courts her, and he sleeps with her, and he makes her pregnant. And to complicate this, he then goes on and tries to cover it up. And then he orchestrates and carries out, through someone else, the murder of her husband. Now, from someone who's been up there to down there, that's a pretty big fail, isn't it? It's a pretty big fall. But you know what? There is a lesson in that for all of us, because however far David fell... However embroiled in sin he became, his relationship with God never fell apart. It never crumbled. David would, maybe eventually, come back to a time of repentance and returning to God's ways. And that, I think, is the key for us there. I really felt when I was preparing this that there will be some people here this morning that have gone through a time or maybe are going through a time where they feel, you know, I've really messed up. I'm not talking about on this scale. I'm not talking about going out and committing murder or whatever. I don't know. But there's something where we feel we have just really messed up. And we're down in the depths. And what God wants to say to you this morning is, if you feel you're in that place, there is always a way back up there. You don't have to stay in the depths. The key for David was that he was deeply sorry. And he wanted to turn. And he wanted to put his life back on track with God. And when he did that, when he turned away from the sin, when he really acknowledged it, when he was really honest with himself and with God and with others, he would find a deeper level of openness and honesty with God.
when he was really going through it, whether it was something of his own making, like with Bathsheba, or whether it was something that was not of his own making when he was hunted down by Saul, he would get real, he would get brutally honest at times before the Lord, and he would come to a place of repentance. And so in that sense, no matter what we go through, I think David's example is a lesson for each one of us. And even though at the beginning I said, oh, I'm not really that keen on, you know, having a look at David, I find him quite a tricky character. He's also an encouragement, a real encouragement, because he is one of those people that has committed serious sin, and yet God's forgiven him fully. And not only forgiven him, gone on to bless him, to really put him in his rightful place where he wants him. He never gives up on him. God never gives up on David no matter how far he falls. And if he's going to do that for David, and we're promised so much more, of course he's going to do that for each one of us, no matter what we feel we've done or what we're going through. You have to think it's that image of the father, isn't it, with the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter. He's always there, arms open wide. Whatever we've done, he's willing and ready and desiring to restore relationship with us, renew relationship with us. But we have to, as I've said, we have to be honest. And we have to be prepared to repent, honest with ourselves, honest with others if necessary, but above all, honest with God. So I want us to pause just for a moment and ask ourselves, am I truly honest? Can I be truly honest in a way that David was able to be before the Lord? Am I frank with him? Am I genuine, authentic? Are there any pretensions in me? Maybe just hold on to those thoughts <coughs> as I speak on. And in with that, ask yourself, am I wearing a mask in any way? Not just with others at times. We all do that to a certain degree, don't we? But with God, with myself. Am I papering over cracks, maybe? Even hiding. Sometimes we don't want to look at God, do we? hide away. I think for all of us at any point in our lives we can say that's true of us. It certainly has been for me. We can all fall into that trap of trying to make ourselves more acceptable to the Lord. Which is totally ridiculous when you think about it. Totally ridiculous because he knows it all and he knows us inside out better than we know ourselves. So why are we trying to hide? Why are we trying to temper what we express before him? As I was preparing, Leslie sent me um, a few verses from one, Psalm 139, which I don't know if she knows, but it's probably my favourite psalm. And um, this fits in very well. I'm just going to read the first few verses. O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. So there it is. He knows us better than we know ourselves. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. And he knows what we're thinking, doesn't he? absolutely knows that and so it is ridiculous when we try and hide when we try and put that mask on or paper over the cracks but there's usually a reason isn't there 
So pause again and ask yourself, when I do that, when I fall into that trap, why on earth do I do it? I don't know about you, could it be fear? Shame? Sometimes it's pride, isn't it? We find it hard to look at things within ourselves. For some of us, sadly, it can be self-loathing. And if that is something that you experience or feel, I really believe you need healing of that. God wants to heal you of that. None of us should loathe ourselves. We are created in his image. For some of us, it can be a bit of a need to please. All sorts of reasons. So I want you to hang on to those thoughts as well as we carry on this morning. And just bear in mind that God does want us to be frank and authentic. We're going to have a time at the end, as I said earlier, where we're just going to be able to listen to beautiful heart music. And we're just going to mull over these questions again and ask the Lord to pinpoint if there's anything in us that really we need healing from. Now that said, it doesn't mean that when we're going through it that we need to shout or scream from the rooftops or tell everybody what's going on. Sometimes we have a few earthly soulmates, don't we, that we confide in. But it doesn't mean we have to broadcast it everywhere. In fact, I don't think God wants us to do that. But what he does want is for us to seek his help. He's there, ready and waiting. And actually, anything we say to him, anything we reveal to him, he knows anyway. So nothing's going to shock him. He sees right into the very depths of our minds and our hearts and our spirits, right into the very depth of our being. And do you know what? He loves us anyway. And that is such an encouragement, isn't it? That is such an encouragement. No matter what we do, and sometimes it's not the doing, is it? it's the thinking, it's what goes on up here. No matter how embroiled in sin we become, he loves us anyway, and he wants to sort it out with us. We don't need to protect God either, do we? We don't need to shield him. We don't need to think, oh, you know, I don't want to upset him by saying something. Because actually, he's our shield, he's our protector, and he is our comforter. Now, I've got a bit of a, I'm going to go off a bit of a tangent, tell you a funny story of sparing feelings. Now, this one, I do like to tell stories that involve my kids sometimes, but I always check it out with them, so don't worry. This one is to do with Tom. Now, the reason I'm sharing a story about Tom is, and he's absolutely fine with me sharing it. In fact, he thinks I look a bit of an idiot in it, but he looks great, <laughs> which is probably true. Um, the reason I'm sharing it about Tom is my Tom is very honest. Those of you who have talked to him will realise he's sometimes brutally honest. <laughs> so, this story goes back to probably about a year ago when I'd gone to a parents' evening with him and um, it was coming up to his GCSEs and Tom in particular liked science and he particularly liked physics and chemistry. And I was really pleased because he was doing quite well in these subjects and um, we got to see the physics teacher, Mr... I'm just going to call him Mr So-and-so, just in... <laughs> in case any of you know him. Um, so we went to see Mr. So-and-so and had this consultation with him. And at the end of the consultation, I always feel it's really important to thank the teachers. I've got a lot of respect for, in general, for teaching staff. People that teach, teaching assistants, you know, they have been amazing in the lives of my children on the whole. And I think credit where it's due, they've got a tough job. I want to honour them and I want to thank them. So at the end, I say to Mr. So-and-so, Thank you so much, Mr. So-and-so, for teaching Tom this year. He's really got to grips with physics. He's really enjoyed it. And he says he really likes you as a teacher, all of which was true. Tom looked at me 
And he pipes up, yes, but I prefer the chemistry teacher, Mr. So-and-so. He's a much better teacher. <laughs> so, I know Tom, I should have just left it there. But I didn't. There's something in me sometimes that wants to sugarcoat stuff, wants people to feel all right. So I then said, oh, Mr. So-and-so, don't worry about that. He says that to all the teachers. Tom looked at me. It's the worst thing I could have said. He went, I do not. I would never say that. I would never say something I don't mean. The chemistry teacher is a far better teacher than the physics teacher. So... The lesson in that is, firstly, if we look at Tom, sometimes we don't always want to be brutally honest with those around us, do we? Sometimes it's not that great if we say exactly what we're feeling. Sometimes it's better to zip it. But it's also not good to sugarcoat stuff, is it? And to try and smooth it over and make it all right if it's not true. So there's two lessons in that. But what I feel is, in our relationship with God... God wants us to be more Tom-like. He wants us to be more honest, more guileless, more childlike, if you like, and just say it as it is, because he will really respect that and honour that. And so, in some ways, let's be a bit more like Tom than me in those situations. Okay, to spur us on to be able to get to that level of honesty, we're going to look at some examples of just how honest David could be before God. And primarily, we find that in the Psalms, I feel. Now, for those of you who are new to the faith, and there may be some of you around here who don't really know what the Psalms are, you find them in the middle of the Bible, roughly, and it's a collection of 150 poems, hymns, prayers. They're actually written by a collection of psalmists, and they're about communicating with the Lord about what David or some of the other psalmists are feeling at that time. Often it's praise, sometimes it is crying out in despair, sometimes it's calling out in depression, it's all sorts of different ranges of emotions. And if you are new to the faith, Psalms are a great place to go. And often, those who have been Christians for a while might recommend a psalm for you to look at if you're going through something in particular, because often the psalmist's emotions really resonate with what we may be going through. Now, David was, as I've said, an excellent musician, and he was best placed, well placed, to write these amazing psalms, and we have a great collection of them, and we only have time to look at a few. As I've said, we're going to look at three this morning, briefly. Now, firstly, I'm going to ask A to come up, and I've asked A to get into character, as, as David this morning, <laughs> and give us a dramatic reading from Psalm 57. Now, I'll just give you a bit of background. This psalm was written by David when he was on the run from Saul. So he's out of favour with Saul, he's on the run, he's desperate, he doesn't know what's going on really, and he's hiding out in a cave. So maybe you just want to sit back, close your eyes, imagine you're listening to David. Been working on this character all weekend. <laughs> I thought I'd leave the beard to one side just this once. <coughs> Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. 
I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. For I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me, and I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Thank you, Aid. <coughs> okay, so there's David in the cave. He's in fear of his life. He's hiding out. He's actually mourning as well. He's mourning what was once a really favoured and blessed relationship with King Saul. Now he's hiding from a king gone mad. A king gone mad with a whole army at his disposal. So of course he's in fear for his life. And David must have been thinking, Lord, you've promised me so much. You've promised me so much. What on earth's going on? It's all going terribly wrong. And if you put yourself in that position, when it's so dire, when you're thinking, what on earth? God, do, do, do you mean that? You know, what, I can't see it happening. How am I going to get out of this alive? What would you be doing? Would you be getting your harp out and writing a psalm? I don't know. But David does. Even though he's wondering all of those things, he is determined to worship God. He must have been thinking, you've anointed me as king and I didn't choose that path, but it doesn't seem to be happening. What is going on? This is key though. While David didn't understand what was happening, while he didn't understand what was going wrong, he understood something a lot deeper. He understood what God wanted of him. And he understood that in that time of desperation, of hiding, of fear, of peril, of confusion, God wanted his worship. God wanted to be exalted. He wanted to be glorified. He wanted to be put in his rightful place. And David does that. You will have noticed there are two refrains as Aid read that out. And it said, Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. He was in the depths, but exalting the Father. Even though David is weary, even though he's distressed, he still praises, he still exalts. We're going to go on and look at Psalm 51 now, and I've asked Fraser to get into the character of David this time. So as Fraser comes up, he's going to read Psalm 51 from the message, 
And this is a psalm that was written by David after he's been confronted by the prophet Nathan about his affair and about the murder and about all of that. So David, again, is sinking on his knees. It's also a time when the, uh, the ba a baby had been born to Bathsheba and David and was in great peril, in great danger of death. And this is what he writes. Generous in love, God, give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You are the one I violated, and you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then, conceive a new true life. Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow-white life. Tune me into foot-tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from grey exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, God, and I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God, I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives, ready for love, don't for a moment escape God's notice. Make Zion the place you delight in. Repair Jerusalem's broken down walls, then you'll get real worship from us. Acts of worship, small and large, including all the bulls you can heave onto your altar. <laughs> Great way to finish. That really is washing your dirty laundry in public, isn't it? Totally in that version. I love that version. It's so gritty. It's so real. It's truth coming from the inside out. David is absolutely pouring himself out before the Lord. He is recognising his wrongdoing. He knows that there are terrible consequences for what he's done. And he recognises he's got to get back in that place with the Lord. That is the only place for him. And so he's asking for forgiveness. He's asking to be washed clean. And that can happen for each one of us, no matter what the issue is. Now, we do know that David's son doesn't survive. We do know that. But we do know that David's relationship with the Lord does. And more than that, it is fully healed, it is fully restored, and God goes on to really bless him. 
So I think that what really does set David apart as a soulmate, a true friend of God, was his honesty and was his transparency before the Father. Sometime it, sometimes it took him a little time to get there, but he always got there. He specifically tells the Lord what he's thinking and feeling. In that psalm that Fraser's just read, you can really see it. It's really gritty. He's being really honest. He's not holding back in any way. Forget the shame, forget the pride, he's not going to hold back. There's no stiff upper lip, no soldiering on regardless. He knows he's got to get real. He won't allow his emotions to be hemmed in and restrained. He'll let them out. He knows, I expect, that many of us, we learn often, that if we do that, then we just let things fester. Resentment builds up, anger implodes within us. David knows he's got to get to that healthy place of purging it all before the Lord and being healed. And he releases it in the safest place of all, doesn't he? Sometimes those of us who feel we've got really close friends can reveal things and pray through things and talk through things with them, and that is wonderful. That is a blessing. But actually, with the Father, alone with the Father, is the safest place of all. So what about you? Pause again. Think about, are you? Am I in a place where I feel safe enough, actually, with God? Do I trust him enough? Do I feel intimate enough with him? Maybe desperate enough to do that. I think it's something that we need to be spurred on to do, to be more like David in that. Because the more that we can do that, the more headway we're going to make in our prayer lives with him, in our everyday walk with him. Without honesty, it's difficult to have a good relationship, isn't it? And so in a way, it's a bit like a spiritual discipline. We need to learn, we need to train ourselves to be more authentic, to be more honest before God in each season of our life if we want to become more and more that woman or that man or that child after God's heart. And I think we're going to come on to intimacy briefly now as well. And what I really feel is the reason I switched them around was that we need to be honest before we can reach that place of intimacy because they're so intrinsically linked, aren't they? So we're going to have a look at another dictionary definition now. If we could put that up on screen, just a short one this time of intimacy. Intimacy is the state of being intimate, familiar, something of a personal or private nature. So it's the, the idea of being sort of a bit closed in, being familiar with someone, but also it's private, it's personal. It's not something that you go and share with everyone when you've got something that you want to talk about that's intimate. And intimacy in relationships is, I suppose, what we call the experience of really knowing someone really, really well. It's what Polly was talking about a few weeks ago when she was talking about the fact that we often have one or two, maybe a few more earthly soulmates. For some people it is their spouse, for others it is a good friend, for some it's a family member. I actually think it's something that we all need and we all need to cultivate having those soulmates in our lives. It's so important our relationship with the Lord, but to have those one, two, three, however close, intimate relationships really helps us spiritually and emotionally in so many ways. So if we think about that, what is it that makes us feel intimate, so close to another person? 
Well, I came across an interesting article recently in a journal called Psychology Today. I actually have a look at that from time to time, it's quite interesting. And this was something that was written earlier on this year. And um, if you could just put the first, first click up, I think, which is the title. Six essential traits of a healthy, intimate relationship. Okay, so six things. We're going to think about our human relationships first. Six things for those that we feel the closest to. Things that we need to do a checklist of, if you like. A bit of an MOT with those relationships. So firstly, first, first thing to think about. Does this relationship that I have with this person encourage me to think beyond the immediate? Do I think long term with this person? Do I factor them in? Secondly, am I a better person than I was before the relationship began? What's this relationship done for me, this close relationship? Is it nurturing me? Does it bring out the best in me? Thirdly, do I recognise the bus when I think of this person? Or am I focusing on what I want or he or she wants? Do I think of a togetherness, a unity? Fourthly, am I willing to give what I want to get from this relationship? What do I want from that person? Am I willing to give the same? Is it an equal relationship? Is it on a good footing? Fifthly, do I feel safe letting myself be vulnerable with this person? Sixth, do I feel more alive when I'm with this person? I like that one. Do they bring me to life? Is it a life-giving relationship? And it is a good question to ask ourselves as we nurture and develop our key relationships. But it also strikes me it's a brilliant way of looking right now at how intimate our relationship is with the Lord. So I'm going to repeat these questions for myself, and you might want to in your head, but substituting my relationship with the Lord. So, six essential traits of my healthy relationship with God. Does my relationship with God encourage me to think beyond the immediate? Am I looking at my relationship with God in the long term or just the present? Am I a better person than I was before I became into a relationship with Jesus? I certainly hope so. <laughs> but... You know, where am I on that scale at the moment? Am I improving? Do I recognise the us when I'm thinking about the Lord? Or am I focusing on, well, I think God wants me to do that, but actually I want to do this. Am I marrying the two up? Am I seeking his will, his guidance? Fourthly, it's an interesting one, am I willing to give what I want to get from this relationship? If you think about it in terms of love, I want God to love me. I want God to accept me, and I know that he does. But am I giving him all the love he deserves? Am I accepting some things about him that might be a struggle in my mind? Fifthly, do I feel safe letting myself be vulnerable with God? Can I be honest? Can I be authentic? Again, going back to those questions, if not, why not? What's stopping me? And lastly, do I feel more alive when I'm with God? Am I living that life in all its fullness? Am I able to really flourish and blossom because of my relationship with him? I hope so.
And if we look at David, we can apply all of this to David as well. And we can see that he indeed did have a very intimate relationship with the Lord, one that we can all learn from. David always thought beyond the immediate. Sometimes not at that time, but he would always get to it and he would always hold on to God's promises. So when he was in fear of his life, he still knew what God's promises were over his life. We see his relationship improve and improve. The intimacy improves with the Lord over the long term. He will factor God in. It's not all about David. Even though he has such an amazing position of power, it's not all about David. He factors God in. And as we've seen from the Psalms we've looked at so far, he's acutely vulnerable, isn't he? He's brutally honest, very vulnerable. And I think we see that he comes alive. The more he opens up his life to the Lord, the more he comes alive and the more he is blessed in God's presence. And it is because David can fully trust in God that he can be honest and develop that relationship. And that's why he can live life to the full. Now, when we think about intimacy as well, I've been thinking about that quite a lot, and thinking what is like the essential ingredient for me, really, in a relationship? I think each close relationship that we have has sort of different ingredients in a way. And it might be a different recipe in one to it in another. But I think, and I think you probably agree with me, that in any good, close, soulmate relationship, the key is trust, isn't it? You can't develop relationship you can't develop intimacy with somebody that you don't fully trust. It's hard, actually it's unwise as well. And I think it can be really difficult to develop that level of intimacy with those around us, sometimes within our family or friendships only go to a certain level because we haven't got that complete trust in the other person. And it might not, I'm not necessarily saying it's the other person's fault, sometimes we can't get to that level of trusting them. We might not have confidence that the person will accept us warts and all. We might not feel that if we say something or if we're truly honest about our feelings that they'll feel the same towards us. So we might be a bit guarded, a bit cagey in some of those relationships. We don't want to risk rejection, do we? And sometimes that does occur. Sometimes relationships break down because there isn't that level of trust between the two people. But that never happens with God. With God, it's an altogether different story, all the time, because we can be real in that way, and he's never, ever going to reject us. He's never going to put a wedge in. He's never going to cause a rift. He's never going to turn his back on us. He is the Father there with arms wide open. So no matter what, he's there for us. There's always a way back. And for those of you who may be feeling this morning, mm, I don't know about that for me, though. There is a way back and he's waiting. And remember David's example. Whatever we are going through, however rubbish we might feel, whatever a mess we've made, whether we're angry, whether we're hurting, whether we're grieving, whether we're just a bit numb and a bit washed out, we do need to try and discipline ourselves to praise God at all times. Just as David did. He was honest, he ranted, he rowed, he pleaded, he lamented, the whole gamut of emotions, and yet he praised. And if we do that, and it takes time for us in our human form, in our frail human frames, it takes time for us to reach that place. But as soon as we start doing that, God will honour it. Mm -hmm. 
and he will restore that relationship and not only restore it and renew it, but he will make it even better and even deeper and even more intimate than it was before. And we will flourish and we will blossom again with him. Okay, we're going to look at one more psalm before I draw to a close. One more psalm by way of example. And I've asked Paul this time to come up and read Psalm 13 to us. Um, I'm going to say Paul's in the, in the pit. He's not. David's in the pit at this time. He's in the depths. And um, <clears throat> this is how he responds. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I shall die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So we can see in that psalm, again, how long, Lord, I'm fed up, how long he's lamenting, he's pleading, he's just at the end of himself, and yet he's determined still to place his trust in God and worship him. He's acknowledging, isn't he, that he actually feels really abandoned, that he feels alone, he feels vulnerable and desperate, but he's also saying, I know, Lord, there's a time coming where I'm just really going to be able to praise you with a full heart. But right now, I'm going to praise you where I'm at. I'm just going to praise you anyway. And he can cry out and rant and rail because he knows, he knows so deeply down, he knows that God loves him. And he knows that God is for him. And he trusts God. Now, if we, as followers here in the 21st century, want to be more like David and develop that intimacy, we need to ensure that we foster that really good alone time with him. That time of honesty throughout every time in our life. But I think especially in the times that are tough, I think we really grow in those. And, and you know, it's wonderful when we're growing and things are, one, are great and all hunky-dory and that's great and God will grow us. But I do think that many of us can speak from experience that when times have been really tough, and when we're up against it, it's almost like we've had a bit of fast tracking with him. And he's really enabled us to get to a place of that intimacy with him and to cry out to him and to shout out to him. And I would encourage any of you who feel like that to do it, to get maybe even scream out to God in the places you need to, not this morning maybe, but in the quiet, in your own time with him, and do that. And I... I really think as well, it's important as we go through life that sometimes I think we sort of compartmentalise things and put things in a box as well sometimes, don't we, and think I'll deal with them later. And for me, it's usually been in the areas of shame or fear. And we do need to find those times and places to unpack that with the Lord in the safest place. And I think I just want to finish by saying that I'm going to pray over us in a minute, but this honesty and this intimacy that David experienced can be ours. And that actually each one of us can have that epithet, if you like, of being the man or the woman, the young person, the child, after God's own heart.
I'm going to ask Ruby to come up now, our resident harpist, and she's just going to set up, and I'm just going to pray over us. And I want you, as Ruby's praying, maybe just to think, I think we'll leave that one up there, but just to think about some of those things that I've flagged up this morning that God might be speaking to you about. And if he's not speaking to you about any of that in particular today, you can be certain that there'll be times when you'll be able to recall that, and it will be of use and a blessing to you. So I'm just going to pray and then Ruby's going to pray it for us for a good five minutes or so. Okay. So Father God, we come before you today, wonderfully made in your image, knitted together in our mother's wombs, but flawed and failing at times. But we know we are loved. But for those of us that know it rationally, but not within our deep spirit or our heart, Lord, I just pray for a new awakening of that this morning. Lord God, I just pray that any of the areas that were touched on again this morning, fear, shame, pride, whatever it may be, whatever you may have challenged us in, Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to rest upon us now, to convict us, to guide us, to heal us. And Lord, I pray for encouragement as well. I pray that no one walks out of here in any way feeling condemned today. Your spirit comes to bring conviction, but never condemnation. So we ask for your conviction where we need it. Your healing where we need it. And we thank you, Lord, that we can be vulnerable with you. You are our safe place. You are our refuge. But you're also our strength and our deliverer and our comforter. So, Father God, we come before you now, warts and all, and we ask that you have your way with us. Amen. 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 